For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, reminding you to subscribe to our weekly email newsletter on which these readout videos are based, and also to check out our new Sea Level Check videos, in which we show that sea level rise is far more complex and diverse than the alarmist narrative of relentlessly and uniformly surging oceans claims, not least because the land is moving up, down, in, and out as well. And we also want to draw your attention to the Canadian version of the Green New Deal, which is called the Just Transition, although it may well be neither. Supposedly, Justin Trudeau's administration, to add to its already long list of failed policy schemes, will socially engineer the transition of the Alberta workforce out of high-paying skilled jobs in oil and gas production into low-paid and largely imaginary jobs in the clean economy. Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, who will table the Just Transition Bill in 2023 just as soon as they get the thing drafted on the back of some convenient napkin, cautions, quote, I do not believe that the challenge we are going to face is that there are workers who are displaced that will not find other good-paying jobs. I'm actually quite worried that there are so many opportunities we will not have enough workers to fill the jobs, end quote. Of course, if that were the case, the government wouldn't have to force the process to happen. The market would take care of everything. But what he's saying isn't the least bit true. I'd call it wishful thinking if there were any evidence that thinking had played a role. Instead, what there is is a federal briefing note for Wilkinson called Key Messages on Just Transition, which indicates that there will be massive implications for about one in eight employed people in Canada. And that note contains this callous throwaway line, quote, Some green jobs will not require workers with green skills to perform their jobs, i.e. janitor or driver working for a solar energy company, end quote. So, we'll use out-of-work rig operators to fill the clamor for janitors and call it social justice. But who really thinks these people can redesign an economy and have it work? Seriously, how much thought have Trudeau and his colleagues ever given to the pitfalls of central planning? For instance, how do they think Gosplan attempted to work similar wonders with the dramatically less complicated Russian and then Soviet economy of the early to mid-20th century, and why do they think it led to the scorched-earth disaster of the actual Soviet economy rather than the one that Stalin intended and many Western economists hallucinated? Have they given it any thought at all? And here, let me say, if I had one wish in economics, it would be to have every concerned citizen read Leonard Reed's little essay, I Pencil, on the mind-boggling complexity of making even a humble, prosaic lead pencil in the era before microchips. See, production involves all these dynamic feedback mechanisms, and if prices don't direct resources in a decentralized way, it just can't be done. But these arrogant nits think it's easy. At the Climate Discussion Nexus, we frequently find ourselves having to argue that climate alarmism isn't a cynical plot. It's a sincere and dangerous error pushed by fatuous but absolutely earnest people. Consider this long piece in The Guardian by one Rebecca Solnit, who apparently has no practical administrative experience of any kind, but assures us that, quote, in order to do what the climate crisis demands of us, to change our relationship to the physical world, to end an era of profligate consumption by the few that has consequences for the many, means changing how we think about pretty much everything. Wealth, power, joy, time, space, nature, value, what constitutes a good life, what matters, how change itself happens, end quote. Right. Just that. Reconceptualize everything and have the world change to fit our new mindset. Would you let this person manage your grocery budget, let alone your retirement savings? And yet many countries, including Canada, Britain, and the United States, are now in the hands of people who really, 
honestly believe that they should and can invest your entire economy and future in magic beans in their own minds. In our previous readout video, we mentioned the general tendency was to dismiss wintry storms, including in California, as being just weather, and we also noted that actually California was subject to extreme flooding and drought back in 22, as in 1822, and throughout the 19th century, so it's fatuous to claim that recent wet or dry conditions there are due to recent human activity. However, the alarmists quickly regrouped and declared that what is happening in the sodden golden state is definitely climate not weather, man-made not natural, and therefore terrible and destructive, not a welcome refilling of reservoirs after a dry spell, as they would. As late as January 9th, the New York Times was just reporting bad storms as bad weather. But two days later, it pulled itself together with, quote, extreme weather has plagued many parts of the country this fall and winter, but few places have been as ravaged by the changing climate these last weeks as California, end quote. And Scientific American chimed in, also on January 11th, with, quote, why California is being deluged by atmospheric rivers. California has been hit by repeated storms fueled by torrents of moisture called atmospheric rivers that will only intensify in a warming climate, end quote. And the herd of independent minds thundered on, with the economist snobsplaining, quote, what California's deadly storms reveal about the state's climate future, end quote. Which is, of course, that, quote, climate change will intensify wet and dry periods in the Golden State, end quote. Just like in the early 19th century when, um, that is, uh, move, along, move along, folks, nothing to see here. Especially not that California's government thinks it can change the weather, but has spectacularly failed to keep up basic water infrastructure in order to retain floodwaters for periods of drought of the sort that the state has seen since time out of mind, which arguably is where many alarmists now are. And now, a word from our sponsor, and that's you. Because at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we're dependent upon support from our viewers and our readers. Please go to our donate page, make a one-time pledge, or if you can, a monthly one. I'm not talking a lot of money, though. If you've got it, we'll take it. $2 a month, $3, $5. That's the sustaining funding that we need to produce these videos on our newsletter. And now, back to me. In this week's newsletter, we also note that the usual suspects continue to hype the usual green technologies in the usual way, but also that, from Australia, we learn that, quote, billionaire spat brings down $30 billion sun cable, end quote which, in case you don't live there, means that a dispute between the two main backers of a giant green energy project, quote, has led to the implosion of the country's largest renewable project, which is now an administration, end quote. Oh dear. And here we were promised it was such a great opportunity that investors would be rushing to get a piece of it. Despite such reality body checks, hardly a day goes by without some story like, quote, electric vehicles keep defying almost everyone's predictions, end quote, which was the email teaser subject line to a piece by David Wallace Wells in the New York Times insisting that, quote, there are almost three times as many EVs on the world's roads now as there were when COVID vaccines were first approved, glorious landmark, and what looked not that long ago like a climate pipe dream is now undeniably underway, a genuine transition away from fossil fuel transportation, end quote. Oh, really? Even Wallace Wells concedes that, quote, while the flows are indeed impressive, the stock of EVs on the road is probably only 2% of the global fleet, which still isn't close to 100% at all, end quote. No. No, it is not. You called that one exactly. To make matters worse, Toyota's CEO claims not only that battery electric vehicles will take much longer to become mainstream than media hype suggests, but that a, quote, silent majority, end quote, within the auto industry know it. 
and it doesn't help that a firm called British Volt also just collapsed into administration, prompting warnings that, quote, British Volt's failure means the UK risks missing out on the global EV boom, unquote, just because it's not profitable. Bloomberg comments that, quote, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson had hailed the company as a centerpiece of his ambitions for a green industrial revolution, end quote. But politicians don't always know from economics, do they? This week, we also noted how Australia's ABC made a big deal out of hot weather in summer, which of course it now is south of the equator, predicting grass fires and heat-related illness during the Christmas break. But an alert reader draws our attention to this item buried in that ABC piece, quote, not only has 2022 been Sydney's wettest year on record, but also the only year since data collection began in 1858 without one day above 32 degrees Celsius, end quote. Strange weather we're having. Though we're still told that 2022 was secretly hotter than the hottest thing ever, or fourth anyway, or eighth or something in Europe, which is warming faster than the rest of the world of all things, it was hot in October, and so on. By the way, that ABC story from December 22nd said, quote, Relief will arrive for South Australia and Victoria in the form of cool southerly winds around December 28th, although this far out it would be a futile exercise trying to predict the exact timing of the change, end quote. But if, on the other hand, you show them a study of the weather in 2100 due to human evilness taken from the inside of a computer, they will consider it solid. For our part, we think the news that large numbers of Canadians are struggling to pay their heating bills suggests that it's not actually unpleasantly warm. Quote, More than a fifth of Canadians say the cost of home heating has now become a significant financial burden, says in-house federal research. The majority of homeowners who heat with natural gas have seen rates nearly double from last winter, end quote. Kind of makes you long for spring warmth, doesn't it? Especially since, as we also note, winter came early to much of Canada and the United States this year, bringing hardship and expense as well as scenic views and outdoor fun. Back in November, NBC observed in an unguarded moment, quote, severe weather delays over 2,500 post-Thanksgiving flights in U.S., end quote. And you don't have to ask whether it was severe warmth or severe cold that did it, do you? Or consider NBC's December 19th headline, quote, high-impact storm to wreak havoc on holiday week travel, end quote. Or December 20th, quote, Arctic blast to bring life-threatening cold to parts of the U.S. as snow is expected to cause travel headaches, end quote. Yet, in most of these articles, climate is never mentioned. Because in the world of one-sided climate science and reporting, hot weather is proof that the theory is correct, while unusually cold weather doesn't mean anything and doesn't even need to be discussed until it creates these emergencies. But if it did, we'd bring up that a new study in the journal Nature, Climate, and Atmospheric Science makes a projection we wouldn't have expected a climate model to produce or a nature group journal to publish namely that the world's climate system is gearing up for a few decades of colder northern hemisphere winters, greenhouse gases notwithstanding. See, apparently the climate system is composed of large, slow-moving, cyclical mechanisms. Gee, is that why there was a medieval warm period and a little ice age? It wasn't people? Weird. Now, obviously, we at CDN are not going to hang our thick fur hat with massive ear flaps on one computer model projection and demand that politicians treat it as a slam dunk. It's just a prediction, and it must be tested against the facts. But we do applaud the authors for making it, and the journal for publishing it, instead of just peddling the usual dogmas. Oh, and speaking of data, we've occasionally mentioned the IPCC Interactive Atlas, which lets you either look at summaries of model projections for the future, or observe trends from the recent past. So in view of the record-breaking cold and snow we had over Christmas in North America and Europe, we went to the Atlas to find out what the trends have been for heavy snowfalls and ice storms. And the answer is a big nothing. 
Literally, nowhere in the world is there evidence of a regional trend up or down. That's what the IPCC really says, despite what people who didn't check yelled that the IPCC must have said. As usual in the newsletter, we also dip into the CO2science.org archive, this time for a study of snowfall in the Mediterranean region from the early Middle Ages on to the present to see about this unprecedented business. Nope. From 800 to 2017 AD, it's just lots of weather. It's unpredictable on a small scale, but it's pretty steady over the centuries. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I do not believe we're just in transition to a bright green future.